You're listening to Real Talk for Real Men, episode number two. Welcome to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast. Lifestyle advice for men so powerful, you'll want to run your life on it. And now your hosts, Guy Mullen and Chris Field. Okay, welcome back everyone. Special welcome to any new listeners out there. Uh, This is your host, Guy Mullen, and I've got our co-host here, Chris Field. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Hope everyone enjoys this program today. Okay, we've got a very special topic, a very serious topic uh, for all us dads out there and grandfathers as well. And in fact, we've got a grandfather with us, 85-year-old Clive Field, who we're going to be talking to today about breaking the cycle of absent fathers. And this happened in his lifetime. And we're going to talk about the fathering examples that he saw before him. And we're also going to talk a little bit about what has transpired uh, following him and breaking that cycle and how that can be done. So welcome, Clive, to the show. Welcome. Thank you. So, Clive, would you like to just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I've uh, started as a young man, as a carpenter, at 15 years of age, and at 28 years of age, I discovered I didn't know everything and I found God. And my life took a dramatic turn. I ended up in the Christian ministry and have served the Lord that way all these years since and have many things to give thanks for. Well, tell us about your family, Clive, in terms of children, uh, family you grew up in, grandchildren. My family is a family of three, two sisters and myself. My father was a, a... out of a family of of seven, a very dysfunctional family. My father's father was uh, an, an alcoholic and uh, a very hard man to deal with. And on my mother's side, my grandfather on my mother's side was a, a very gentle man. He, at an early age, he, he a disease, had a disease of the body. But he was a friendly man, a loving man, and a man that had a great impact on my life because he, I could relate to him and, and, and speak to him where I could not speak to my father's father. So you had, so if you look at these two grandfathers you had, um, one on your dad's side and one on your mum's side. So the one on your mum's side you had a good relationship yep. with and he was a good role model and a good father. Yes. But on your dad's side... He had a lot of problems. Yes, on my dad's side, a lot of problems. My dad only ever knew hard work. His, his father was a, a very hard man. At, at 14 years of age, stripped to the waist, he was in the Napoon River carrying rocks out under his father's supervision into a dray, and that's how my father started off his work life. His work life continued in the quarries, and it, it, it was a very narrow little section of people he was. He was not. He did not go to the war because of the. They were considered a vital industry, preparing him for stuff for concreting and so forth. And so my father spent his spent all those years, most most of his life, in that quarry amongst a group of men who were also men of very what we say, very little social contact. A, a group of men that basically uh, focused on their own little circle. Hence, my father's uh, my father's outlook on life 
consisted of basically what the men at work had to say. And no matter what subject came up in my home, my father would come home later on and say, well, the men at work said this or the men at work said that. So as a young man, I grew up in a very narrow little situation and probably when I look back in hindsight, by the time I was ready to leave school, by and large, I, I had all my father's prejudices, and, which are really the prejudices of the men he worked with, and uh, my outlook on life was constructed on the basis of what the, the men at my father's work had to say about life. Mm. So just give us an idea of how you were aware of your dad not being a good dad. In what ways could you <coughs> could you feel that? <clears throat> my father never never went out of his way to to speak to us, my, either my sisters or myself. I'm being, being the firstborn and the oldest. Uh, I, I, I endeavoured to reach out to my father. I'd, like as a young fellow, young boy, I, I remember waiting at the gate, watching to see my dad turn the corner. He'd, he'd walk home of an afternoon wheeling his push bike around the corner. And many a time I'd run down and grab his bike and work along beside him to try and get some kind of recognition, to get some... But there was, it was never forthcoming, although I tried many, many ways to try and somehow get some kind of acknowledgement from him. And your sisters feel that as well? Yes, my sisters both felt that. And, of course, as, as, as very young girls, they soon found themselves a boyfriend and a husband. And uh, whilst those marriages worked out well, uh, the, the reason for them, early marriages of both my sisters, was the simple fact that they were looking for some identification, someone to love them, someone to show them some kind of, uh, uh, what should you say, uh, they need, they, they obviously they felt... Needed a, they needed a hero, someone a, to love An them. affirmation of someone, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got married and started a family of your own. Do you think you were aware that you maybe were not well prepared for fathering it in those early years? Yes. Yes, I was. Although... <laughs> I, I had resolved by the time I was married, if, if I can go back a little, when I began work, I began work as, as a, a carpenter in a joiner shop. And for the first few months, it meant traveling on the train. And suddenly my world broadened because here was a bunch of fellows I met every day on the train. And, they, and they, they opened up a wider world to me than the one I'd seen at that point. And I'd listen, listen to these men talk. And, and some of the men were very gracious men, and that included me as a young fellow in the conversation. And what do you think about this? And they'd tell me what they thought. And, and I found that they were, at times I'd say things, and someone would not correct me so much, but sort of come in and say something that left me thinking afterwards. Well, I was wrong, but I was I was revoicing what all that I knew. And so, in a very short time, my world began to grow uh, quite large. And when I I uh, I got out of the joint shop on the building sites and met all the various tradesmen. My, my, my world exploded. It was just... And my, my father's world became such a little tiny pinpoint of, of narrowness and, uh, what would you say, introspective type of little world. But the world out there now was, was big and ever-expanding. And so I, I realised then that uh, I, I was I was developing. I was changing my attitudes. I was beginning to grow mentally and in understanding, and uh, of course, I, I, I picked up my, my wife. She was uh, my girlfriend from the time we left school, and uh, as we were preparing towards getting married and that, I began to make some resolutions, and when I married, got married, I, I resolved that if I had children, I'd be a father to them. I would not ignore them. I, I would make an endeavour to 
to reach out to them. And how did you how did you come about making that decision? What what brought you to that point? Well, I, I looked at I, I looked at the, my upbringing. I, I looked at the upbringing of, uh, of other friends around the place that I began to mix with, and they talk about their home life and their parents and so forth. And and I I, I right there I realised that that hey that I I had come out of something that I that I needed to discard this this uh, this might. The understanding I had about marriage and, and children up to the point of, uh, as I say, my world getting bigger, but up to this point of getting married, uh, I'm beginning to sort of, I guess, it's part of what, you, what would you call uh, a creeping education of life because you, you're constantly moving. Now I'm moving amongst men who've got some of them fathers work with their sons working with them. And they're training their sons to be tradesmen and so forth. And I see a father-son relationship in this. Like I, like I worked, one of the builder I worked for, he had, they had the same electrician. And he had a young fellow, he's had his son working with him. And there was a great relationship between father and son as the father's training the son. And, and everything in me said, I'd, I'd like to have that kind of relationship with my sons. So I was developing a, this this wider view and, and, and the thought of, of having... A, someone of the same, of my same family that I was close to, which I, I had been close to my sisters, but in, in my, even in my father's family, the relatives and that, they were all, like my father, they, they all come from a dysfunctional family. I don't think any of them uh, had experienced anything that much different than what my father had experienced. So most of those relatives, I, I, I didn't have, I had very little contact with because when I did contact with them, they were still, a lot of them were back in the same position I had been before I, I began to go to work. And they were, and I'd find myself talking to these people and I thought, I can't go back to that. I, I, I think differently. They talk about brothers and sisters and I'd, I'd say, no. I'd be in myself, I would think, no, I don't think that anymore. I used to think that. I don't think that anymore. And, and this was whole, there was a, I, I guess in a sense, what would you say, there's this state of flux and, and it's developing. So by the time, we had our first baby, and uh, we had twins, and uh, right, right from then on, I guess I'm I, I already made this decision. I'm going to grow up close to to my boys. These twin boys, they, I'm helping helping my wife feed. In the middle, of, woken up in the middle of the night and given a bottle and say feed. And we we got these twinnies and I'm these little babies, and I'm thinking to myself, I, I want them to have a. I don't want them to be like I was with my father. I want to be close to them. But you ended up facing, sadly, a real tragedy um, with your oldest son. You want to explain what happened there to our audience? Yes. Well, we, we lived in a place called Lake Cardelligo, and I had become involved with the sailing club. I'd never been on near a sailing boat prior to that, and we moved to, the, to Lake Cardelligo, and... Uh, I, got, I was invited out on a boat. I went out a couple of times, had a sail, and I sort of I caught the bug, as it were, and I found something that was was pleasant to do. And not only that, I found I very quickly found I had a a, a desire to go further with it, and uh, it, it was something that really developed to the point where it became almost what would you call a driving force in my life. I, I've said to people by the time uh, I was become a Christian. 
my God had been 15 foot long with two sails on it. And so that's where I'd come to this. I'd got a boat. I'd got, began to sail. I began to improve. I was winning races. I was, I was getting out amongst the best competitors. I, I'd performing at something that I didn't realize that even existed prior to that date. And so we came to a point in the sailing club where as the families with little children, when, when we would go sailing on the weekend, different families were rostered on to look after the children. And, uh, Anyway, I, I was supposed when we came in from the race that day, and, and my wife went off to help the ladies do the catering. My responsibility then was to look after the children, keep an eye on the children. But I, I got lost in having a, a debate over why we didn't win a race or something, you know. And afterwards, holding post mortems on the race and who did this and who did that, and got so focused on that stuff and standing around the boats and arguing that I ignored the kids until a cry went up that one of them was missing and it was happening to be my son. And so Philip uh, drowned and uh, that uh, that was a, what would I call a dead stop for a moment in my life when that happened. How did that affect your thoughts about yourself being a dad? Because here mm. you were then, as a dad, that's probably seems like a big negative. Oh, I hated myself. I, 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 I really... Yes, I, I really, should I sort of go back and say, for about three weeks, the best part of three weeks, I, I wouldn't get out of bed. I wouldn't face the world. I, I didn't like what I saw. I didn't like what I saw. and I, I didn't like me. And uh, I, I just went, I was in the pits. And uh, that affected our life. And uh, this, 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 uh, during this time, I, I had some a couple of government contracts. I had on that school on the Aboriginal mission. I had a head a master's residence. These were government jobs I had underway, and I just lost it completely. And uh, by the time I pulled myself out of it and began to focus on life and look at my family and pick up my responsibilities again, I was deeply in debt, and and the whole world was sort of crumbling around me. And I had to, there was a, in myself, I had to begin to rebuild. Is it almost like rebuilding my life again and building my relationship with my family? In that season then, you probably were far too busy to be a daddy. Well, that was, that was true. What happened next was uh, to, to get myself out of trouble all, all I could see is what I could do with my two hands. I went around the various firms and said, look, stick with me. I, I know. Somehow I'll, I'll, I'll repay the money. And being a small country town, people were very kind and generous and give me that opportunity. So I was seven days a week then. I had uh, a contract to, to renovate the bowling club and uh, I was working day and night along with my apprentice seven days a week. From, we'd well, they'd, they'd shut shop at midnight of a night and we'd go home and have a bit of a snack and a couple of hours sleep and by five o'clock in the morning we're back on the site again and this went on for several months and all I could see was my family I, I just lost focus on my family all I could see was I had to get this debt paid and uh, Rose told me afterwards she said the, the children would get up in the morning and say where's daddy, where's daddy Oh, he, he was here but has daddy gone away no daddy, daddy's here but 
the kids were questioning because I know she once said to me, said to me, "Come home early, will you, so the kids can see you're still alive?" You know, and uh, but I, I just all I I couldn't focus on anything other than paying these debts off, and uh, we we came to a place where the bank owned me, owned me, and I. I I couldn't. I had no cash because every penny had to go into the bank. Uh, we, we 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 lived on the virtually on the smell of an oil rag. People were generous, except for food parcels that drop on our doorstep. It was a very difficult time, and my family went through a very hard time. And uh, a farmer from out of town contacted me. He said, "I want you to come out and." put new floorboards on my veranda and gauze it all in. I said, I'd, I'd love to do it for you, but I haven't got time. No, he said, he understood my circumstance. He said, no, I'll tell you what you do. He said, I want you to come to my place. Come up, come, even just come out and do it Sundays. Come out Sunday morning, bring your kids out. He said, I'll feed them breakfast. We'll look after them during the day. You won't have to worry about meals and I'll make sure you go home with money in your pocket. So we didn't didn't have money up that point. Just barely, whatever the bank allowed us was just barely enough, starvation level almost. And so I began to do that. And so Sunday after Sunday, I'd go to this man's place and I'd out on this farm and work on the farm, take the kids out early in the morning. They would feed the kids breakfast. The kids would play with their kids during the day. They'd feed them, send us home at night with some parcel of meat and some cash in my pocket. And that was a godsend. And that went on for a time. And... Uh, what I'm getting to is this, that as I was working on the on the bowling club and uh, the fellow said, will you come to the phone? Your wife wants to speak to you. And she said, uh, Bob, Bob Spry, the man who was, uh, was the farmer on whose work, home said I was doing the work on, had rung and he wanted us to go to, with him on Thursday night to, to a place called West Wyalong and listen to a land broadcast of Billy Graham. Now, I'd, 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 all I knew about Billy Graham was that religion, someone had something to do with religion. And so I, I resisted madly till my wife reminded me how good this man had been to us. And I, I realised that I owed him one. I realised I owed him one. I thought they said I owe him one. So in, I went to that meeting on the Thursday night. And I thank God for that man and the fact that I owed him one. It was God's way of getting us there because that night, God really dealt with me and got hold of us. And uh, from that moment on, our life took another new turn again. We, we, we suddenly became a family again. And my focus was back on us as a family. Back off, it was, wasn't focused, it was, although I was still working like mad. I was still trying to pay off my debts. And then uh, the Methodist minister that, who who took us over after we'd, we'd given our heart to the Lord. He's, he was a man that had done... It, he was in his 50s before he went to the ministry, so he was a man that knew the world, worldly ways, and he'd put his finger on my nose and say, Clive, you've got to change. You don't do these things anymore. You don't do this and you don't do that. And he'd say, you need to stop working and, and uh, come, to, come to church and honour the Lord. And I'd say, Bob, I can't afford this. Look, I hold my hands out. I can't afford I can't. What I can do with these two hands, I've got debts to pay. And he keeps saying to me, but you've got to trust God. You've got to trust God. Finally, he got me to agree to start working on the uh, Saturday, on the Sundays. 
and uh, then the next thing he said, you, you need to give your, you need family needs to have a life. You need to have a life as a family. He said, oh, I want you to quit working Saturday afternoons and and come come down and we'll play tennis and and do some play some games and things. And uh, I can still see myself arguing, saying, but Bob, I, I can't afford to. I, I said, well, I've got to earn the money. He said, you've got to start and trust God. And uh, so as we did that, our whole life incredibly took a, a dramatic turn in so many ways. My wife confessed to me that that uh, that at the point when we were saved, if it, if we that had not happened, the following week she was gone. She said I had a place to go with the children where I'd never find her. Mm. She said she couldn't take any more, you know. So God's timing was perfect. And the incredible, the, the, just jumping to the end of the story there, is that when we, two years later, when we sold up and moved on, on paper it doesn't make sense, but our debts were paid and we had enough money to buy a block of ground and start again. And on paper it does not add up. But that God just honoured that when we began to trust God, things just changed completely. So our life became, a, a, our focus became off so many things and, and, and had, a, had a whole new focus on the things of God after that. And that, that of course, our family, the, the kids became so important to me. I, I promised myself that those children would, would never live what I live with my father. And for good or for bad, however, I did. I tried as much as possible to spend time with my boys, to talk with them, do things with them, be be not 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 just a, be a mate to them, but just to be a father that was with them and an interest in everything they did. It sounds to me, from what you're saying, though, that this Methodist minister was probably the closest to a mentor that you would have had for that sort of role. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Because uh, as a, I had no, I had no my fathering was a was a concept I did not understand from the, my own point of view from my own home. I mean, I had no role model. But excuse me, but Bob Brand would say, would, he spoke to me like a father, and he'd say, "Claude, if you don't do this and you don't do that, unless you need to do this." Then he said, "When have when have you ever taken your family for a holiday?" Well, we never. So he said, right, I've got an old tent here. He said, we're going to pack you up. You're taking your family for a holiday. And that was one of the best things that ever happened because from there on, every year we had a holiday and the kids got involved with Beast Mission. And they, oh, it was just a complete... It, when we got saved, God took over our life, put the right people in front of me. I couldn't escape them. He put them in front of me. And uh, but and, and out of that, I, I'd be, I, I, I guess I, I, I hope... That in hindsight, my boys would agree that in everything that I could know how from that moment on, I tried to be the father that I wished my father would have been to me. So you raised five sons in addition to Philip. Five sons in addition to Philip, yes. Yep. And they're all they're all serving the Lord. And how many grandchildren have you got now? Great grandchildren. Great grandchildren. Okay. 20, 36 great-grandchildren. 36 great-grandchildren, yeah. 36 great-grandchildren. Yeah. And amongst my sons, three of them have been through Bible school, two are pastoring, and two of the grandsons are pastoring. So God has been very gracious to us. And, and uh, hmm. Well, here's a question then. If you were to bump into some young fellow that looked just like Clive Field did all those years ago, 
wet behind the ears and full of opinions, but not really knowing what mm. the world was all about. Mm. What in the world would you be saying to them? Well, firstly, you and I need to sit down and have a long, long talk. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd, you'd want to be a mentor, would you? Oh, yes, of course. Of course, you, you yeah. One of the things that um, my friend Darren Lewis says, he runs Fathering Adventures, he does a lot of trips with um, dads and, and sons. Mm. And one of the things he says is that um, it's only masculinity that can impart masculinity. So so if you, if, as, as a man, if you don't have somebody who is a father figure to you, who is able to mentor you and to show mm. you what it means to be a man, then... You always doubt whether you're really a man and whether you've got what it takes to be a man and to do the roles a man has. Yes. And um, and so and so you having this Methodist minister who came in, you, you didn't have that mentor that right that mentor yeah. up until then. Yeah. Your your grandfather on your father's side hadn't been it to your dad, and your dad hadn't been able to be it to you. Yeah. This minister this minister had come in and had taken you, taken put his arm around you if you like, and and taken you under his wing and started to show you what it meant to be a man and to be a father. And how did that how did that make you if you look between that before and after, how did you view yourself differently? Yeah, well I, that's true. Bob Brand did he was he, he became more than a mentor. He he became the father I never had mm. in that sense. Did you feel yourself changing in that process? Did you feel something yeah. happening in the inside? Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, I'm sitting here, so so many things happen when you look back on it and you try to think, try to process it somehow. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to put it between point A and point B. But but there was uh, there was a constant transformation, and and of course Bob Brand kept speaking into it, mm-hmm. and I, I would go to him naturally. I'm a young Christian. So I've got a thousand questions I want answered overnight, you know. Mm. And I'm down to his place and, uh, Bob, but what about this and what about that? And I remember saying things, but Bob, what if I sin? What if I do sin? You know, and Bob, and one John, you know, says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. So constantly I'm, I'm running with questions. He's giving me answers. But at the same time, he's talking to me. We'd, and then we'd go and he's teaching us to, as a family, he's got us out to playing tennis and things. And he's, He's, he's acting as a... And on the sidelines, he's still talking to me, even playing tennis and that. It, it, there's there's an interplay of words all the time because I'm still asking questions and he's still giving me the answers. And, and, and the whole time, I know my life was changing and changing and changing. And for the sake of anyone listening, I, I might say this. The, the, I, after, after all this was said and done, there was some sort of still some sort of cloud over my life that I struggled with till one day I come to the realisation that the death of my son, that God had forgiven me, my wife had forgiven me, but I had never forgiven myself. Mm. And so I came to that realisation and and put that before God and it's like a cloud went off my life. But I just say that for someone listening that might help them. But that, that was the one thing that there was just something that wasn't quite right till that point. Mm. But as a father, as a, as a the, the Bob Brand became, in a sense, he became my father for a time. Yes, and uh, I, I looked to him and respected him, and and uh, and all the time I'm 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 trying to think all the time how will this affect our family? I talk to my my wife Rose. We talk about things and talk about the kids and 
this is the and she she was a very perceptive woman and she said well, look you know, if you realize that say Chris needs something or one of the other boys needs something no I hadn't seen that yeah and we talk about it and so it was constant growth and constant change because the desire in us was to be my desire in me was to be a father one that at the end of the day I, I, I hadn't failed my kids and at the end of the day mm. they, they they would go away with a with a uh, concept of, to have a concept of their father that was far greater than the, than what I'd ever had you know their, their experience should I say you know of, of mm. being father was and only the answer to that would only be by question these days but as far as I was concerned I felt we I had developed and had had as the best I knew how become a father who cared loved his boys and and wanted with them as far as we would go and uh, we'd go put the boat out and the boys would go in the boat and we'd tow them around on the boat and we'd do things together I'd sit and we'd sit on the on the front veranda and eat ice blocks together and talk and yarn and so forth so we constantly I constantly worked at having a relationship with them because I, that was I never had with my father. All the things he would never, never able to do with me that I would have liked, I made sure the opportunities arose. I, with my boys, I, I took those opportunities. Reading between the lines is something I think is probably worth pointing out here too, though. Some people might feel that they're not where they want to be and hope that maybe one weekend retreat, one special prayer is going to solve it all. What you're telling us is that really it just remains a journey. It is a journey. Yes, it, it is a journey. I, I, I guess the reality is until, until the day that my boys individually, each one left home, it, I, was still, I was still on that journey. I was still become, working at being, to the very last one of them, being a, a father and, and wanting to be able to be involved in their life in not so much, never to make decisions for them, but to be, uh, to be included, that, that they they had enough respect and desire to share things with me that I became uh, had a, an ear, as it were, to their 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 processing of, of their life and where they were going and their what they desired to do, and then wherever possible, I would get behind that to help them and encourage them to fulfil that desire. Hmm. Okay, so so as we um, press getting to draw to a close here what are the sort of two or three things you would really like for for uh, for your sons and maybe your grandsons to remember about you the lessons that they learned from you as a father or a grandfather I, I would like to think that there was I had a sufficient effect in their life that they'd remember me with some kind of respect not not in a sense of putting me out but rather that they were happy to quote me because they they felt either something I said or did was worth repeating or quoting because of the the, the quality of the relationship Mm -hmm. that I had built with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the thing that that lasts is that relationship. That's the thing that gets remembered, isn't it? Yes, right. So all those bills, all those debts, they're long since forgotten. Mm. The relationship goes on. The relationship goes on. Okay, the last question for us, Chris. No, I just appreciate your your transparency, and I think what it points out too is that somehow we have to climb off our high horse along the way and be mm-hmm. teachable. Mm-hmm. You had to make that journey. Was that a tough journey for you to become, or do you think mm-hmm. just that experience of seeing the bigger world 
prompted you to have to become hungry to know what was going on? Oh, yes. I, I think from the moment I started work and started mixing with the world outside, then suddenly there was a hunger. To mm. I, I, I'd read everything I'd lay my hands on to, from cover to cover, you know, everything. I'd, information, format, which is brings out formation, of course, in the in your attitudes and things because you you question things and, and you start to hear what men say and you hear different opinions and you start to read that and you, your world gradually gets wider and wider to the point where you, you as a, you become mature then you've got to be able to learn how to spit out the seeds as it were, you know. Well, can I put words in your mouth then? Can I suggest that maybe the fathers that you would challenge are those that are a little bit too self-satisfied, not ready to learn? Oh, yes. One thing I did learn was the future belongs to the teachable. So, you know, and, and life, life, it's it's the pe- people. I remember an old fellow said to me one day, he said, I was only a young fellow, and he said, I'd asked him some questions, and, and he said, he said, young fellow, he said, the day you stop learning, he said, you're in trouble. Mm. And I think that's true of life. So we, we are, Our life is a constant learning process because we're in a changing world all the time. Mm. But there are some things like relationships with children and that that are that are unchangeable. There, there are things that we that, that there are things that are and do not change. People, children do need their father. They do need their father's affirmation. You know, sons do need to have their father's affirmation. Daughters too, for that matter. But the sons we're talking. I'm thinking of particularly because it was sons I was dealing with, and and uh, I, I, I I'm I'd like to think. That that uh, what I see, I believe, is true. That that my sons are fathering their children in in a way that I I feel is is, is great. You know, it's it's honouring, and that's uh, it's a privilege to see that happen, because there's not a repeat of uh, of the uh, the negativity and the and the and the lack that was in my childhood, my early childhood. None of our boys have had to put that. Been in there, and they of themselves have proved to be, to be fathers who have taken up the challenge to raise their sons and daughters in a godly, fatherly way, and and put into them things that are important in life. And that's great. It's great to see from where I sit, looking at my my sons and my my grandchildren, my great grandchildren. I see it going down the generations, and I'm just so grateful. But I know it had to start somewhere, and God started with worked out on me, and hopefully that. That'll continue to filter down. Well, Clive, it's been a privilege to have you on the show. Uh, it's um, it's always great to to listen and to learn to from those who have gone before us. And we were really we've had a glimpse of what six generations here: the three um, for you, and then there are sort of two or three afterwards of you as well. And and uh, there's a tremendous amount here which uh, we can take away and learn from. Uh, real challenge to broaden our view of the world and to really think about how we are focused as a father and as a man. If we've got all our focus on the right place and the right things, are we going to leave a legacy that um, that uh, is, is going to be really valuable? So thanks, Clive, for coming on the show. And thank you, Chris. And thank you for listening, everyone. And we will... Have you back next time. Look look out for the next episode. Until then, goodbye. 
thanks for listening to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast at www.realmen247.org.